You're listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast, presented by Brian Dunn, Head of Matheson Employment Practice. This is a regular podcast series for HR practitioners, employment lawyers, and in-house counsel, focusing on the legal issues relevant to all companies with employees in Ireland. Hello and welcome. Today, I want to look at a recent decision of the Irish Labour Court, a decision that was handed down at the end of July just past. And this is the case of DHL and Michael Coughlin. The reason I've chosen this particular case is because it deals with an issue that comes up quite frequently in practice. And that's the question as to whether an employer can take into account previous disciplinary warnings that have expired in a subsequent disciplinary hearing if the conduct all relates to a similar type of offence. This may seem like a fairly straightforward issue, but as we'll see from the judgment, the Labour Court has now well and truly settled this issue. But before we get to any of that, let's have a look at what else has been happening in the employment law world since our last recording. As the Irish Parliament has been in summer recess, very little has been happening on the statutory side. The only development that's really worth commenting on is a recent set of guidelines that have been published by the Workplace Relations Commission into how adjudication officers should run their hearings. The one point I want to talk about from this is in regard to preliminary hearings. What the guidelines state is, and using their own language, that in the vast majority of cases, even where preliminary issues are raised, the adjudication officer will proceed to hear the case in full. What this means in practice, therefore, is even if it's a case that should be disposed of at an early stage and where the preliminary issues are raised, the employer will still have to put the time and money into preparing for a full defence of the case. This is obviously very frustrating and disappointing for employers to see that the Commission has adapted this as their default position, particularly when you think back to when the WRC model was first proposed. One of the main highlights or benefits was that it was going to facilitate weeding out of cases on a preliminary basis if the facts supported that. That's not to say that it's unheard of for a case to be thrown out on a preliminary basis only. And in fact, within the last two or three months, we've had two cases disposed of at the preliminary stage. However, it is quite clear that this is the exception rather than the norm. You're listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast, presented by Brian Dunn, Head of Matheson Employment Practice. Let's turn now to our case review, the case of DHL and Michael Coughlin. This was a referral or an appeal by DHL to the Labour Court following an earlier decision of an adjudication officer which had ordered DHL to reinstate Mr Coughlin after he was dismissed for gross misconduct following an incident at work. The background to this case is as follows. Mr Coughlin was employed as a courier and van driver with DHL for 11 years or so up to the time of his dismissal in November 2015. The case itself arose out of an incident in his van on the 19th of October 2015 when he had misjudged the space that he was reversing the van into on the company depot and caused extensive damage to the van to the tune of €2,500. The real issue for Mr Coughlin and his employer was this wasn't the first time it had happened. In 2012, he was given a 12-month written warning for similar damage to company property and in 2013, he was given a final written warning again for 12 months as a result of causing further damage to the company van as a result of his driving. After the 2013 warning, he underwent a van driver retraining course. Unfortunately, for the following two years, there were no further incidents. That is up until the 19th of October in 2015. After the issue occurred in October 2015, two or three weeks later, the area manager, Mr. Alan Butler, wrote to him 
to invite him to a disciplinary hearing. Mr. Butler was going to chair the disciplinary hearing and the invitation identified the issue as an allegation that he had failed to properly safeguard or protect company property, which was identified under the company disciplinary procedure as gross misconduct. The letter correctly explained to Mr. Coughlin that if the allegation of gross misconduct was proven against him, he could be dismissed without notice. Remember that the sanction for gross misconduct is dismissal without notice, as in summary dismissal. Mr. Coughlin attended the disciplinary hearing on the 16th of November, at which he fully admitted the facts as regards his driving on the day. However, he challenged whether his conduct was such as to warrant a finding of gross misconduct against him. Interestingly, at the disciplinary hearing, the chair, Mr. Butler, made repeated reference to his previous history of similar offences, even though both of those warnings had expired at that point. A number of days later, on the 24th of November, Mr. Butler wrote to Mr. Coughlin, advising him that the allegation had been proven against him and accordingly he was being dismissed for gross misconduct without notice. The letter identified the allegation as a very serious issue for the company, explained that in the circumstances there was no alternative appropriate sanction that the company could consider and that it was on the basis of his having failed to protect and safeguard company property. It did go further, however, in that it referred to his previous history and the earlier warnings he had been issued. In fact, what the letter said was as follows. It is the company's opinion that you were driving carelessly and your poor judgment caused over €2,500 of damage to the driver's side of the van when you collided with the fencing. This is an extremely serious issue in light of your history with causing damage to both company van and customer property. The company has previously provided you with substantial training and has gone to extensive efforts to ensure that you're driving in a safe manner. The company has serious concerns about your ability to safely carry out your duties as a driver and cannot trust that you won't have a similar lapse in judgment which may result in further damage or potential injury to yourself or others. The company cannot accept this level of negligence and poor judgment from a driver who takes a van on public roads on a daily basis. Mr. Coughlin appealed this decision internally and the matter went before the head of operations, Mr. Michael Farley. Mr. Farley, on the 15th of December, upheld the earlier decision and upheld the decision to dismiss him for gross misconduct. Mr. Coughlin had appealed it specifically on the basis that the company was not entitled to take into account the earlier warnings because they had expired. Mr. Farley, however, expressly referred to this and said that the company was fully entitled to have regard to them because they were of a similar nature. He went a little bit further in his response, however, in that he said it was time for the company to also recognise its duty of care to the public, to Mr. Coughlin's colleagues and to Mr. Coughlin himself in explaining why he was upholding the decision. As we know, Mr. Coughlin then brought a claim for unfair dismissal where he was successful at the adjudication officer stage and DHL then appealed it to the Labour Court. As you'll see from the judgment, the Labour Court was very much in Mr. Coughlin's corner and found for him on four particular grounds. First of all, the Labour Court was extremely critical of DHL for what it saw as introducing new allegations at the disciplinary hearing and subsequent stages. The way the Labour Court explained it was as follows, that Mr. Coughlin was invited to a disciplinary hearing on foot of a written invitation that identified the issue as his alleged failure to safeguard or properly protect company property. However, the way the Labour Court saw it was that by the time the disciplinary hearing had occurred, New issues were being introduced, such as the issue of the company's duty of care to the public, the issue of whether or not they could have the trust and confidence in him to perform his duties, and the issue of his previous warnings. 
while I do follow the Labour Court's logic, I think it is a little bit harsh. It's not as if DHL were introducing entirely new factual allegations. The fact pattern or the allegations that Mr Cochrane was being asked to answer at the disciplinary hearing was still the exact same. To the extent that anything new was introduced, it was further discussion or elaboration on the factors that the company was going to consider as a result of the very same allegation. While the Labour Court didn't expressly spell it out, what it's saying in practice is that the invitation letter to Mr Cochrane should not only have identified the allegation regarding his failure to protect company property, but should also have gone on to explain that if this allegation is proven against him and the company has to consider what sanction to issue, that the factors it will consider in this regard are matters such as its duty of care to the public, his previous warnings for similar offences and also whether they could continue to trust him as a van driver. Secondly, the Labour Court looked at the definition and concept of gross misconduct and emphasised that it takes a very restrictive view of the type of conduct that will meet the definition of gross misconduct such as to justify dismissing an employee without notice. To explain this, the Labour Court read from a leading text on Irish employment law which defined gross misconduct as cases of very bad behaviour of such a kind that no reasonable employer could be expected to tolerate the continuance of the relationship for a minute longer. We believe the legislator had in mind such things as violent assault or larceny or behaviour in the same sort of serious category. Applying this definition to the facts in Mr Cochrane's case, the Labour Court doubted whether his allegations met this standard. In particular, it laid emphasis on the fact that even after the issue had occurred, DHL allowed him to continue driving the van for a further two weeks, which is obviously inconsistent with the idea of it being conduct of such a nature that an employer cannot allow it to continue for one moment longer. Overall, it felt, therefore, that even if he was guilty of the allegation of failure to protect company property, it wasn't something that would reasonably amount to gross misconduct, such as to justify dismissing an employee without notice. Thirdly, the court was critical of the employer's failure to give any due consideration to an alternative sanction. It was clear from the evidence, and Mr Butler confirmed so himself, that the only sanction he really considered was whether or not to dismiss Mr Cochran. And turning now to the question as to why we chose this case, the question of whether or not the employer was entitled to take into account the previous warnings. The Labour Court was highly critical of DHL on this front also. It felt on the evidence it was clear that DHL's decision to dismiss him for gross misconduct was to no small extent driven and influenced or informed by the previous warnings which at that point had expired. The Labour Court was therefore making a very clear pronouncement that once a disciplinary warning has expired, it is irrelevant for any further disciplinary hearings, even if the conduct is of a similar or identical nature. Bringing these four points together, the Labour Court therefore found in Mr Cochrane's favour and on the basis of his evidence that he was unable to find subsequent employment, awarded him a full two years gross remuneration. In Mr Cochrane's case, that amounted to €72,000. This is the maximum award that an employer can be faced with under the unfair dismissals legislation. So it'll give you a sense of just how critical the Labour Court was being of DHL in this case. As always, I'd like to ask now, what does this mean for you as representatives of employers in Ireland? And there are two or three key points I think we can take from this decision. The first point I want to look at deals with the suggestion that the employer had introduced new allegations at the disciplinary hearing stage. I've already explained my view on it, and the difference between introducing new factual allegations and introducing what I see in this case as further discussion on the factors arising out of the allegation. But post this decision, 
in a practical sense, what this means is where you are drafting an invite to a disciplinary hearing, the invite should not only identify broadly the factual allegation, but it should also explain that the factors that will come into the employer's thinking in determining a sanction if the allegations are proven against the employee. In many cases, they'll be the same. There'll be issues such as the message it sends out for the employer, the question of trust and confidence that the employer may have in the employee and the gravity of the offence. But it's a point we have to bear in mind. Let me turn now also to the point the Labour Court was making that the employer had failed to consider alternative sanctions. This is a trend we've seen developing before the then Employment Appeals Tribunal and also now before the adjudication officers, where they are repeatedly making the point that the employer failed to consider alternative sanctions. The case law isn't saying that the employer in every case was wrong to dismiss and should have issued a final written warning or something similar. The case law is simply saying that the employer should give due regard to whether there are alternative sanctions that may be more appropriate. And in a practical sense, this isn't difficult to get right for an employer. What we would recommend to clients usually is that the decision maker should make some rough notes to show that they did give due consideration to alternative sanctions and to explain why those sanctions were simply not viable in the circumstances. If you have the luxury of time or it's appropriate in the circumstances, it can also be helpful for the decision maker to have some sort of preliminary discussion with the employee's manager to maybe explain what the alternative sanctions could be and whether or not they are viable. The whole point here is to be seen to at least consider it and to be able to show why those alternative sanctions were not viable or feasible in the particular case. One question that was left unanswered, and in this case it wasn't addressed because the facts didn't require it, was whether or not if an employer has a disciplinary procedure that makes it very clear that the employer will be entitled to take into account previous expired warnings at subsequent hearings if the conduct is the same if that will be permitted as a matter of Irish employment law. I think there is certainly a basis upon which to suggest if the policy is clear, the employee understands when they get the warning that it may be taken into account again in the future and in the right facts that an Irish court would at least entertain that argument. So there are definitely some practical lessons we can take from that decision and it's definitely helpful for us as employers that the Labour Court has now settled the issue for once and for all. Thanks for listening to the Matheson Employment Law Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email brian, that's B-R-Y-A-N, dot done at matheson.com. This podcast contains general information about Irish law. It is not intended to provide legal advice on any particular matter and is for general information purposes only. You should not act or refrain from acting on the basis of any material contained in this podcast without seeking the appropriate legal or other professional advice. Tune in next time for another Matheson Employment Law podcast. For further information, visit matheson.com.